Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. gentleman's name is Joe Sangle. I met him just recently. Uh, he is the chief uh, executive for John Maxwell's organization that helps churches succeed and accomplish their goals and things like that. Uh, that organization is what's helped us with our Unstoppable campaign that I'll share a couple details with you about. But Joe Sangle is the number one educator for helping people. His specialty, his passion is helping Christians live their best financial life possible to operate in all of their gifts and be the most successful they can be as individuals uh, with a kingdom purpose. So we're, he's doing a weekend with us, uh, going to come in, be with us on Saturday and on Sunday. Uh, so we've got coaches, some specific coaches we're going to connect with that are passionate about helping people uh, with finances and things of that nature. But on Sunday afternoon, he's going to do a seminar. So he'll be speaking at church on Sunday, uh, the 20th. But that afternoon, he's going to do a seminar for anybody in the church uh, that wants to come and learn uh, and increase themselves and grow themselves and figure out what they need to be the absolute top they can possibly be in the financial realm that they're in. That sound good to you guys? Sounds good to me. Anybody want to be poor? Oh, no takers? Okay, maybe come that Sunday. All right, hey, let me give you a quick update real quick. Uh, what is it with that whole poverty gospel? I don't like the poverty gospel. You know, God is good, man. He's a good God. Uh, quick rundown. Uh, many of you know, I'm just going to spend like two, three minutes on this, but our Unstoppable campaign, this building that you're in right now is a, is a, is a result of a campaign that we launched about a year and eight months ago or a year and seven months ago or so. And it was specifically to connect to the vision of Oaks Church and help us to accomplish the goals that we need to accomplish. And I'm just going to run you through a couple quick details. Our goal, our, our big, big, big picture goal was to raise $2 million. But what we really, the minimum that we needed to be able to raise was $1.4 million. And that's actually what came in as far as the pledges. People in our church said that they would commit to support, to give. So the entry level, what we needed to make sure that we could accomplish the base level of the dream, one. 1.4 million. Uh, here we are at about a year and eight months, and we have received already in uh, 1.146 uh, million dollars has already come in, which leaves us around 250 thousand dollars away from finishing the pledges that came in uh, or the pledges that were made. So, guys, we're super duper close, uh, and I want to give you just a, a couple uh, ex reasons why this is important in a church life. Uh, there's what's there's a bell curve that happens in a lot of churches' lives, and you you grow, you start out. You start doing well, and things happen, and a lot of times churches plateau, and they begin to 
to shrink or go down. And if they don't make some shifts and accomplish some vision, um, they don't have another lifting season. So what we've done in the middle of the pandemic, uh, we have gone into a whole new lifting season where 25% of churches around the nation closed down permanently. We were able to acquire this building because of the faithfulness of God's people. Thank you so much for being so generous and for helping us. But in case you didn't remember or didn't see the building originally when we found this building, uh, when we found this building, we were homeless. Uh, we were shut down in the middle of a, pound, uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, then we were able to get into a hotel for a little while while we were able to work things out. But this is what the building used to look like. Uh, um, it was a, a ninja warrior training facility uh, where people, you've seen the American Ninja Warrior where the people climb and do all these different stunts and whatever. That's what this building was. Uh, the inside of it was pretty rough. It, this whole room was filled. There was no sanctuary. Uh, there, there was just equipment, gym equipment all through this place. Uh, but now you see what our building looks like on the outside. Brand new paint job. You guys like the new paint job on the outside? Looks beautiful. Um, and, and what's interesting is the owner of this building, well, now you are the owners of this building, but the previous owner of this building wanted it to be a church. He literally had, when we found this building, he showed us his original drawings when he bought the building, he had it drawn. He said, this building needs to be a church. But he had four or five churches come and none of them could pull the trigger, none of them could make it happen. And so he was forced to lease it out to other organizations and it became a number of different things. And then finally God opened the door for the church that he had picked to be here and we were able to come in. But I wanna show you what we have just accomplished. Our kids playground has just been installed this week. If you have kids, they didn't get to go in their main room because we're doing some redesign. So we're investing in the future, investing in our kids. Next Sunday is the uh, big grand opening of our new, of our kids remodel room. And we're investing in this for a very important reason. I want your kids to love to come to church. Don't you? I mean, the worst thing is when your kids don't want to go to church, when your teenagers don't want to go to church, we want to create a church where your families want to be here and their friends want to be here. We want to get thousands and thousands of people saved. Jesus said, we are fishers of men. And fish don't just bite on a hook. They got to have bait, shiny objects, things to catch their attention. We're trying to grow up baby believers, babies. What do you do with babies? You put all kinds of sparkly stuff in front of them and they're like, ooh, they're looking at those sparkly. We're talking about baby believers. We gotta do some sparkly things in order to captivate the imaginations of the people that God is drawing to this church that he wants to grow up. He wants to make them mature. So a couple other things that we're doing, some of the other big projects that we want to try to accomplish over the next year is some more adult classroom space. Um, and we want to put a big, kind of a big uh, glass conference room that can be open for lobby uh, space, but also closed off for conference rooms. We plan on doing a full outdoor outside remodel, uh, which is gonna be absolutely incredible. I want this property to be a property that inspires people. When they come on, when they go to Taco Bell, when they go to Sonic, when they go to Home Depot, they look at this building, they look at this property, they see an outdoor landscape, they see a prayer walk and a prayer garden, they see something that absolutely inspires inspires them and makes the community want to find out what's going on in this place. This building, this property, listen, church is not about a building, but a building is a tool that's massively valuable to reach the people. Your family is not about a 3,200 square foot home or a 2,400 square foot home. Your family is not about a home, but it sure is nice to have a home for your family. Better than a cardboard box downtown. Be be better than shanties. 
So it's important that we understand that what we're doing with the house of God makes a difference in the lives of the family of God. Amen? So thank you for your generosity and thank you for being a part of this uh, program, Unstoppable. If you haven't joined the Unstoppable uh, program, it's running through the end of February. You can still be a part of it. You can just uh, click the link on our website. You can make a pledge. You can make a whatever. And, and I encourage you just as the Lord leads you, be a part. And if the Lord doesn't lead you, then don't be a part. But pray and ask the Lord what he wants you to do. So thank you for your generosity and for being a part. Now, let's pray. We're going to jump right into our message today. Are you ready? Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for all of the things that you have in store for us. Father, we love you. We give you praise and glory and honor. And we ask you that you would release your word to us today. Amen. 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 Well, we're starting a brand new series called Heart for the House. Heart for the house. And I want to open up with a story. I want to tell you a story. I know we're in the middle of football season and some people don't care about football and that's fine. I'll keep it brief. But this is a really interesting story about a man named Jim Marshall. He actually was and still holds a number of different records. He played for 20 consecutive years in the NFL. 270 consecutive NFL games and overall 292 consecutive matches that he played in. Those records still have never been beaten. He's a record holder in that. But that's not what Jim Marshall is known for. Jim Marshall is known for a play that happened in October 25th, 1964, when the Vikings were playing against the San Francisco 49ers. And in the middle of a play, it was a game where there were eight fumbles by the 49ers. Praise God for 49er fumbles. That's all I got to say right there. If you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, you love to see 49er fumbles, Eagles fumbles, especially Eagles fumbles are very important to us. But eight fumbles, the problem was on one of those fumbles, Jim got really excited and he scoops up the ball. He's a defensive player. He's not used to holding a ball. He's, he's one of the, the giant linemen, and he picks up the ball, and he starts running to the end zone, and he's running as fast as his big old slow body can go. He's a refrigerator running down the football field, and he's glancing over his shoulder, and he's recognizing no one's following him. No one's chasing him. He runs for 66 yards into the end zone, spikes the ball in the end zone. The ball rolls out of the back of the end zone, and it's a safety against his own team. He ran to the wrong end zone. Poor Jim. Poor, poor Jim. Some of the greatest 20 years of legacy, 270 starts in a row. The greatest, one of the greatest careers. But no one remembers that part. He didn't make the Hall of Fame. They remember his blunder. When he made a mistake and ran the wrong way. What is Heart for the House about? Heart for the House is a series where we're talking about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the priorities that Christians should have in accordance with the priorities that Jesus had. What, what if you lived your whole life as a Christian and didn't know you were running the wrong way? What if you lived your whole life as a believer just to find out at the end that you were scoring points for the other team? Curious? Uh, my, my dad, uh, Ken Scrivener, is one of my absolute heroes. He's 84 years old. He's watching right now. Um, he was born in, I believe, 1938. 
graduated high school in 56, went to college, uh, University of Tulsa. My mom worked so my dad could go to college. Uh, then my dad graduated and later my dad worked and my mom was able to go to college uh, and get double majors and all that type of thing. But it was, I believe, 1960 or 61 when my dad graduated college and he was a major in advertising. And his college buddies, they all came together and they started this firm, a marketing firm in the, in, in the early 1960s in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, and in the 60s, I don't know, some of y'all remember the 60s. I don't remember the 60s. I came around in the 70s. I mostly remember the 80s. Uh, but in the 60s, the marketing world was, was really pretty wild. If you've seen or heard of the show Mad Men, uh, that's kind of a throwback to the 40s, 50s, 60s marketing, all that type of thing. And my dad quickly found out that the culture of the industry and specifically the culture of the company that he was a part of was running into some conflicts with his own personal faith, his own personal stance on a number of different things. He, he's in business with his best friends and the business is doing very, very well, but my dad's conscience was grieved about certain things. And in order to stay true to his faith, my dad gave up his ownership of the company and followed a different path. His business partners, his friends, all went on to become multi, multi-millionaires. My dad didn't. Those business partners, their kids grew up in country clubs. We didn't. But alternatively, my dad's friends' families and their children and their grandchildren, the stories of their lives were filled with all types of destruction, sadness, and the reality is all of those men have been gone for almost two decades. My dad's 84 years old, still with his high school sweetheart. All of my dad's natural born children love the Lord. Natural born grandchildren all love the Lord, serve the Lord. My dad is super rich, super rich with a heritage of faith that he passed down from generation to generation to generation because my dad prioritized his faith in God and the house of God and his commitment to the family of God over making millions of dollars. Is it nice to make millions? Sure. But Jesus said you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. Heart for the House is a theme and it will become a, a yearly theme and campaign to make sure that we as the people of God have our minds set in the right manner for our priorities to be in place to accomplish the will of God in our lives and not get caught up in the things of this world and the culture of this world. The Bible says that you can't love the world and love God at the same time in the same way. Jesus said You're only gonna, you can only serve one master. Interestingly, Jesus didn't say that the competition was between God and the devil. Jesus said you can only serve one master. You'll love one and you'll hate the other. And he said you can't serve both God and money. Jesus said the enemy of God wasn't actually the devil. It's, it's the love of money. It's idolatry, materialism. Nothing wrong with money. money. Money is not evil in and of itself. It's a tool 
that you can either do wonderful things with or you can do horrible things with. And I have story after story of people in my life, people that I've known that have done incredibly well with money, but come to a place of realizing they were doing right things for the wrong reasons. One of my friends came to realize after he got saved, very, very wealthy gentleman, he came to realize, he said, Joel, last, over the last two years, very wealthy gentleman, he said, I have spent over a million and a half dollars on sin. He goes, but now, now everything I do is for the kingdom. Everything I have belongs to God. Everything I generate is for the kingdom purpose. He goes, God gave me a second chance. And he became one of the most unbelievable, unbelievably generous people I've ever seen in my life because he finally figured out whose team he wanted to play for. I want to take you to a story. It's the story of Jesus. We're going to walk through some of the priorities of Jesus. And specifically, beginning in Jesus' childhood, there's a story where we meet Jesus as a 12-year-old. Praise God for 12-year-old. 12, 12 years old, my God, seventh grade, 12 years old, that was the worst year of my entire life. Right? Seventh grade, oh my gosh, you don't know what's going on, your body's changing. Did you know that a, that a, a teenager going through their hormonal change has more hormonal turbulence than a woman going through menopause? Did you know that? Have some grace for your teenagers. They're all drug addicts on the inside. It's just their own bodies making these drugs, and it's freaking them out. So have some grace. My parents had no idea what was wrong with me. I went from this sweet little 11-year-old to a psychopath 12-year-old. I was grounded the entire seventh grade year. I never saw the sun. Whole year grounded. Every single time I'd get ungrounded, I'd do something stupid the same day. Grounded again. Jesus was 12. And as was the custom in the Jewish culture, every single year for Passover, all of the Jews would bring their families to Jerusalem from all over. They would travel, and the population of Jerusalem for that week would be over millions and millions of people, massively crowded. And they did it every single year because that was the law, the Jewish culture. We, we, they didn't have the separation of church and state. The church was the state. The church was the government. God designed it that way. And, and realistically, what you need to understand, hopefully you do, is that what we have in America, the separation of church and state, is not to protect the state from the church. It's to protect the church from the state. That's why it was designed. The church is supposed to influence the state. The state has no influence over the church. Period. So it's important, that is an amen, it's important that you understand. Uh, I don't know what your calendar says, but on Tuesday it's voting day. And you're the church. You're the salt and the light of the world. And if the church would stand up and vote kingdom culture, vote kingdom values, we would control the whole flow of the world. But only 50% of Christians vote? It's, it's ridiculous. The salt and the light of the world and they won't show up to vote? To me it's sinful. Sinful. You have been given an ability to shift culture and you don't do it because you're lazy or you're jaded or whatever. Don't get me started. I'll kick this pulpit over right now. Be the salt and the light for crying out loud. Back to the Bible. 
Luke chapter 2. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, they're going back to Nazareth. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Oh, 12-year-olds. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for an entire day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem, an entire day's journey back to Jerusalem. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? I can only imagine how colorful some of y'all's language might be if you found your 12-year-old two, three days later hanging out without permission. Why would you do this to us? Why would you treat us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus' 12-year-old response what a, oh my gosh, he never sinned, but he was kind of a punk right here. He says, why are you searching for me? Why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Jesus said, I must be in my father's house. I must be in my father's house. Jesus had a massive priority toward his father and his father's house. Another translation said, I must be about my father's business. See, what we don't realize when we see Jesus, Jesus said, essentially, if you see me, you've seen the father. If you hear me speak, you've heard the father. I only do what my father shows me to do. I only say what I hear my father saying. That's what Jesus declared to us. If you want to know the father, get to know Jesus. If you want to understand who God is, study the life of Jesus. Read the book of John. Read it over and over and over. One of the greatest books ever written to show you the life, the in-depth, up-close life of Jesus. The only one of the four Gospels that was written by an insider on Jesus's most inner circle. His three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. John writes the insider's perspective. One of the greatest Gospels. If you know Jesus, you'll know the Father. We live in a culture that is increasingly anti-Christ and anti-church. I don't know how you grew up. I grew up in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. In Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, in the 80s, they didn't give us homework on Wednesday night. Because there was church on Wednesday night. Everybody went to church. Our sports teams didn't practice on Wednesday night. We didn't have sporting games on Sundays because that's a church day. Everything revolved around church. The church was the centerpiece of your social life and your family and your community. Nothing sacred anymore. 
My, my kid's a, an athlete, and, 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 and it's important to her, and it's important to us, and she's got dreams and aspirations, but nothing's sacred anymore. Tournament on Easter Sunday, for crying out loud. Oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. Listen, can I tell you that none of you, none of you, none of you would be who you are without the organized, established church of Jesus Christ. It's the most important organized body of people on the planet, the most influential body. If it wasn't for the church of Jesus Christ, you wouldn't have hospitals, wouldn't even know what they were. If it wasn't for the church of Christ, Jesus Christ, you wouldn't have higher learning or higher education. Every single college was, a, was an extension of the church of Jesus Christ. Every hospital, an extension of the church of Jesus Christ. The best things that have happened around the world have been an extension of the church of Jesus Christ. And we live in a culture where people are anti-church and anti-pastor. I got to play golf with some guys this last week and one of them brought up Joel Osteen and a whole bunch of them started talking bad. I said, y'all ever met him? No. I have, three times. You ever been in one of his services? No. All I gotta do is read his Twitter feed. Really? Really, that's how you really know who someone is? Their Twitter feed? I've met him, I've been in services. I was in a service where he prayed a sinner's prayer and 5,000 people got saved. What have you ever done with your life? And we want to criticize someone that's trying to do good. Listen, his doctrine may be different than your doctrine. That's okay. Jesus said, if they're preaching me, they're with me. They're for me. So we had a look, a caddy. Caddy found out I was a pastor. He says, hey, you ever heard of Joel Osteen? I said, yeah. I'm waiting. This is going to be another bashing session. He goes, man, I, I was... I was driving to California, I went through Houston, and I just really wanted to see his church, so I, the compact center, so I pulled up there, and, and I pulled up to the building, and the security gate, and, and the, the guy, the security guard came out, and he was so nice, and, and I said, hey, I just, you know, I'm driving to California, I'm a golf caddy, and I, I'm just going to California, but I want to stop, and I'm just going to find a place to sleep, but I really wanted to see the building, can I, can I just drive on campus and see it? And the, and, and the guard gate's like, yeah, come on, man, let me give you a tour. In fact, you don't need, if you're sleeping in your car, you don't, man, don't, you don't need to go park somewhere else. Just park here at our church. I'll keep you safe. I'll watch over you. I'll make sure. What time do you need to wake up? 5 a.m., I'll give you the church guard. I'll give you your wake. I'll come knock on the window and, and wake you up to make sure that you're okay. Five a.m. Caddy's name, we called him Smiley. I don't know how old he was. He looked 80. Perfect teeth, best teeth you've ever seen in your entire life. Mr. Ed would be jealous of these teeth. <laughs> Smiley says, 5 a.m., knock on my window. I open my eyes, I look over. He goes, you know who it was? Joel Osteen woke me up. Joel Osteen knocked on my door, knocked on my window, woke me up, talked to me, prayed with me. Oh, it's easy to bash people that we don't know. Bash people that have a heart for the house, that have given up their life for the house of God. 
the most important organization. Listen, the house of God is more important than our government. The house of God will long outlive our government. The house of God is more important than any other organization on the planet. It's the only organization that Jesus died to create. I must be about my father's business. I learned from my dad how to prioritize things in my life. I watched my dad. To my dad, God and God's house were always first priority. Second priority was his own house. Interesting. Listen, your own house is important. But if you don't have God and God's house in the right place, your own house can go to hell in a handbasket. The house of God, if you don't have your house connected into the house of God, you're set up for a disaster. As a youth pastor for 12 years, I constantly got to deal with parents that were having horrific things happening inside of their teenagers' lives. And they would never make sure their kid was in youth or at youth camp or at youth group or at youth revival or at youth mission or any of those things until all hell was released, and then all of a sudden, Joel, can you fix my kid? Well, maybe if you had some good priorities, sir or ma'am, I could have been working with your kid this whole time, as opposed to let your kid hang out with hellions and think it's just fine and nothing's gonna go wrong, and I'm a last-ditch emergency, I'm an emergency room call, instead of wellness visits and checkups? Am I too aggressive today? I'm feeling rowdy. Come on, guys, it's a priority. Well, I mean, my kid, he just doesn't want to go to church right now and slap your kid. Not really. Not really. But listen, who pays the bills at your house? They don't get to make the rules. They don't get to determine what's best for them. All this baloney about kids identifying as this or identifying as that, your kids don't know who the heck they are for till forever. I was 25 when I finally figured out who I thought I was. 14 think they know who they, you don't. My God. Your kids need you and they need you to be a man or a woman of God and set some boundaries and set some priorities and establish the importance of God in the house of God inside of your family. I didn't know I was gonna be this uh, excited today. God in his house is first. Then my dad's family, his wife. Interesting, wife before children. I'll never forget the last time I talked back to my mother. I was 12. I popped off, said something smart alecky. My dad was in my face so fast, I never saw it coming. He, my dad would do this thing, my dad's amazing. He, he never, 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 now I got spanked, okay? Good Jesus Christ spankings, I got that all the time. My dad was never abusive, never not one time. But my dad would do this thing where he would just take two little fingers, fingers and he would hold on gently to the skin of my neck. Just this, and it was so, oh my God. And you, you, as a kid, you're like, what the heck are you doing? This is really uncomfortable, you're in my personal space real bad right now. Just two, not pinching, not hurting, just, just like this. My dad, on that occasion, two little fingers, he says, don't you ever 
talk to my wife that way ever again. Do you hear me? And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought that was my mom. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that was your wife. And I will definitely not ever talk to you, crazy man's wife, like that ever, ever again. Fear of God put in me right then. Priorities. Listen, your kids are going to leave you one day. You better prioritize your spouse. Because you're going to be stuck with that spouse. And it's either going to be a wonderful house or a haunted house. Based on your priorities right now. Work came after. Work wasn't as important as God or God's house. Work wasn't as important as the family or the family. Work came after. Work was something you had to do to make the other things work. It wasn't the first priority. It was important, but not as important. Jesus had a heart for the house. Psalm 69 verse 9 says, For zeal for your house consumes me. Zeal for your house consumes me. Two occasions, Jesus cleaned house at the church. The first one happened early in his ministry, John chapter 2, verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts. They found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of courts. Jesus actually went and made his own whip. That's called premeditated aggression. That's called premeditated violence. I'm going to spend time stewing on how angry I am over this while I make this whip and I'm going to take this sucker in there. And he goes in there. He drives all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, and scatters the coins, turning over the tables of the money changers to those who sold doves. And he said, get these out of here and stop turning my father's house into a market in his Disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. Question, are, are his priorities your priorities? Jesus' top priorities were this. The father, the father's house, the father's kids. Especially the father's kids that didn't know they were the father's kids yet. He would leave the 99 to go get the one. He, he, he would leave all the religious people upset and go hang out with Zacchaeus, a wicked tax collector. And then he would say, when they were angry and for hanging out with someone they saw as wicked, he would say, look, salvation has come to this house. I'm not called here for the healthy. I'm called here for the sick. I'm not called here just for the found. I'm called here for the lost. Oaks Church has to be a place where we're consumed with the zeal for the Father's house and specifically for the kids that are still lost. Are his priorities your priorities? Do you know Jesus actually had moments in his life where his natural family was against the call of God on his life? There was a story in the Bible where Jesus actually, his family was waiting outside trying to get him out of the house where he was doing ministry because they thought he had lost his mind. Saying that he was the son of man, the one to come, the Messiah. They're like this dude. His brothers and his mother were outside 
trying to get him out of there because they had not come to the realization of who he actually was, God in the flesh. He was just the brother that grew up, the kid that grew up in the house. They knew he was special, but this is a little too far, Jesus. Eat your flesh and drink your blood, or we can't be having what the heck? What is wrong with you? You've lost your marbles, Jesus. They said, Jesus, your, your mother and your brothers are outside. Jesus' response, who are my mother and my brothers? He points at all of them. He said, you are my mother and my brothers, those who do the will of my Father in heaven. See, even Jesus' own family had to get saved. Jesus had to be willing to walk away from his own family to follow the Father. You're going to have some tough decisions to make to follow the Father. And you've got to make sure the Father is a top priority. Are his priorities your priorities? Jesus said that he would build his church. To Peter, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. The church is so important to Jesus. It's the reason he came. Not just, yes, to, to, to die for your sins, to save you, but to create and to build a church, a called out group of people that would unify and do amazing things all around the world. It's the desire of God that no one should perish, but all should have eternal life. And it's up to us as the church to allow him to build our lives together, to unify us together. We cannot be spectators. We're not supposed to be in the stands watching the game. We're supposed to be on the field. We're the players, we're the coaches, we're the staff, we're on the field. That's what we're called to do. We've got to get in business with his business. Amen? One time, Jesus, in my own prayer life, the Lord said this to me. He said, if you will prioritize my house, I will prioritize your house. The house of God. The work of God. Where does it fit in your priorities? I want to share something with you. This is something I do every year. I study out the meaning of the, of the new year on the Jewish calendar. I'll share this with you and then we'll close. Um, September 25th this year was uh, the Jewish New Year. It is now, we, we still look at the American calendar or the global calendar, 2022 is the year that we're in. But on the Jewish calendar, they're in the year 5,783. In the Jewish alphabet, every letter is a number. Every letter is actually its own word. Um, every single letter is a, is a pictograph. It, it, has, it has a meaning. The original, one of the original languages in the world is, is Hebrew, and it was originally a, a pictographic language, a lot like you would see in Egypt or in hieroglyphs and things of that nature. And so there's a whole lot of meaning behind it. And so 5783 is not just a number, it's a grouping of words, it's a sentence, okay? So I wanna give you just a basic understanding because God doesn't name something for, for by accident. Nothing God does is by accident, everything is on purpose, he's perfect. So five is the letter, it's called hey. And it's pictograph is, is, is like this, okay? Just kind of a square thing, it kinda looks like a doorway. And the word literally means, it's funny because hey is how you get someone's attention in English. It means look, behold, there's an opportunity. Hey, hey, look, look here, there's something going on. That's what hey represents. Five we know is the number of grace. Grace 
is an opportunity. The second number is seven. Seven is the zayin. Its pictograph is a sword. Hilt up top, point down below. It represents the divine authority of God. The spoken word of God is called the sword of the spirit. It's the divine authority of God from heaven to earth. The third letter, eight, is the chet. Chet is the pictograph of a fence or a gateway, a guarded, protected place. So now, so far, you have, look, there's an opportunity for supernatural authority for a protected place. Number three is the gamel. Gamel, the pictograph, was a camel. It represents endurance, it represents service, it represents giving and generosity. The, the, the gamel in, is right, we all know that three is next to four. Uh, the gamel is right next to the fourth letter, which is the delet. Delet, and we'll talk about this next year, is it looks like a person bent over. It represents worship, it represents humility, and it also represents poverty. So what you see is you see a picture in, inside of the alphabet of the, of the gamel, which is the three, running toward, or it's lent over, it looks like it's at an angle, kind of looks like a man running toward the, 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 the bent over person. And in Jewish culture, the representation of the three and the four in their relationship together is it's a picture of a rich man running toward a poor man to meet his needs. So when you see that, you, rep you recognize that according to what God has done with this year, there's an opportunity for supernatural authority for protection in your generosity and service to find specific needs. This is the year of supernatural generosity in service. In the midst of recession, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a bad economy, you can be connected with a heart for the house of God, connected to the needs of the people of God, and you can be living inside of an ecosystem, an economy that is unaffected by the world around you because you're tapped into a kingdom economy. And God is calling us in this season, in this year, to be the most radically generous, radically service-oriented givers of the goodness of God that we could possibly be. That's what this entire year is all about you being the most godlike version of you. Godlike is not just about following rules and being holy. Godlike is about walking in the fullness of the power of your purpose to do good in the earth. That's what godlike is about. So I challenge you today to have a heart for the house. You're a part of this church for a reason. You are a member of this church for a reason. You're in this house for a reason. So that we can work together. We can partner together to be powerful for God's kingdom. To meet needs all across this city. To be a beacon of light in a dark world. To be radically generous in the face of, of stingy hoarders. We can be radically generous. It sets us apart from everyone else. The goodness of God draws people to repentance. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. God, I ask you to move on our hearts and challenge us to prioritize you, your house, and your mission. Father, give us a heart for your house, a heart for your ministry, a heart for your calling, a heart for the lost. Do a miraculous work inside of us that we don't live for ourselves 
We don't live just for us. We live for you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.